Welcome to an all-new episode of Fast Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Cummins, at Logan Cummins on Twitter. And on today's episode, I'll try to make friends with actor, comedian, and screenwriter Chris Grace faster than Carol swoops in to try and steal his character Jerry from Sandra on Superstore. I'm Logan Cummins. I'm a former pro wrestling creative, a mediocre stand-up comedian, and a ranch-dressing aficionado who lives beyond my means. This is my weekly podcast where I set out to make friends with each and every one of my guests. Sometimes it works. Other times, not so much. Chris, welcome to the Fast Friends Podcast. Thank you for having me. Dude, thanks so much for coming on. How's your day going? Uh, I woke up just for this. I'm actually having a little, uh, a little gas today, people. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not normally a person that has that issue, but I'm having it today. So do just, this is, this is what a trooper I am. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, gas pain is, uh, it's, yeah, it can be a lot. It can be a lot. I figure on a podcast <laughs> about friends that you should start with vulnerability. And this like, if you were genuinely asking me how I was doing today, this is what I would say. Yeah. If, if, if it was not being recorded for you know, your audience, that's yeah. what I would say. So I'll just do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody has gas. I mean, people don't like to admit it, but I used well, to have like, a friend uh, actually. In I high don't school. normally, I will say, uh, <laughs> not to interrupt your story about your no, no, no. high school friend, but like, I mean, I have gas obviously, but I don't, I'm talking about when it's in your stomach and it hurts and it hurts. won't go anywhere. Yeah. 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 I no. don't know. I literally have this maybe once every three years and it happened oh to be God. on the day that I was going to talk to Logan. Wow. Anyway, maybe you have a high school friend. Oh, she, she used, she used to say like, she didn't have gas at all. Like, like mm. she pretended like she wouldn't, she was like disgusted when people would talk about like farts and things. And I'm like, you obviously fart and take shits. Like you're a normal, like that's what people do. Yeah. Uh, but she was so grossed out by it. There was some podcast recently I listened to where someone mentioned that they don't have an internal monologue, mm. um, that they don't talk to themselves in their head. And and they were gen- it seemed like they were telling the truth. Like the other person was like, "Wait, so you don't like have a rationale in your a running thoughts in your head about what's going on in the day?" And she's like, "No." Wow, can you imagine? Was- no, I can't imagine that. I think no. that's very strange. I remember I- having that like in as a kid. Even I don't remember not having that. I, yeah. I think um, probably most of our experience of the world is actually that, and everything in the outside world is just sort of fodder for that inner experience. Yeah. Absolutely. So that I don't is, know what it would be like without it. I can't imagine. I literally sit all the time and I'm constantly, it's like, it's constantly going on. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, what's great is those of us who think a lot in our, that, that it doesn't cause any issues and that it's not something that people get obsessive about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I will be thinking something though. And I'm like, did I say that out loud? Oh, you know, like, and then I start to get like, oh shit. Like, was that here or did it like come out mostly like at work and stuff, you know? Wait, are you a character from The Simpsons? Because I feel like that's a joke that happens a lot on The Simpsons. Uh, no, but I could be. <laughs> I, could, I would fit right in on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, it's to me, it's it's along the same lines as like when you've driven for a couple miles and you're like, oh my god, did I like go through a red light? You know, like one oh. of it's like that, but it's like, did I say this out loud? Because I shouldn't be saying. I find it kind of terrifying when you get home and you're like, oh, I don't remember driving. And yeah. I'm talking about sober. It's like, oh, I don't remember the last three miles of this trip. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely happened. <laughs> yeah. Also happened non-sober, but yeah, that's a whole different topic, I guess. <laughs> that the... is 
probably illegal. <laughs> it is. I think it is. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on. I, I want to give you just a quick overview of the premise of the podcast. It's uh, it's structured in three <laughs> rounds. So the first round is called the fast forward round, and we'll just kind of go through stuff about your life and career. Uh, the second round is called the five for five round. So I have five questions prepared for you, and you have the opportunity to ask me five questions. And then we'll end with the fast friends fortune teller, which we'll use one of the paper fortune tellers uh, to reveal an activity and then we'll complete that activity and end with a friend request. Let's do it. So based on my research, uh, I see that you, I believe that you grew up in Houston. Were you also born in Houston? I was born in Columbus, Mississippi, which is why I am named Chris. I'm named after Christopher Columbus. Oh, wow. Which today is a great man to be named after. Yeah. No problems whatsoever with Christopher Columbus. And I will hear, (laughs) I will brook no, uh, (laughs) I don't care. Anyway, that's my name, Chris. Okay. When, how old were you when you uh, moved to Houston? How old was I when I was born? Zero. Um, <laughs> Houston, let's see. I was born in Columbus. I moved to, uh, uh, we moved. I didn't move on my own as, as a child. <laughs> we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina when I was in first grade. And then we moved okay. to Houston in third grade. I, I measure it by like, when did I change teachers from one yeah. to the, So yeah, I moved to Houston in third grade. I had Miss Alanise for third grade. And she got so angry at us one time in class that she slammed her book down on the desk and said, shut up, shut up, shut up. (laughs) That would never fly today. No. And that's all I remember from third grade. The whole year? Wow. Pretty much. (laughs) We had a third grade teacher who used to tell, and my wife is a teacher, so she is like appalled by this story, actually. But this teacher used to tell us... um, like when the when the class was being bad, she would say literally out loud, "Like you all are cruising for a bruising." Mm. And my wife is like, "Yep, that is not acceptable. I cannot she, even even when we were in school, I don't know how that happened." She literally threatening physical violence. She was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never got a bruising, but I did uh, get threatened to paddle once. My brother did get paddled once. Oh, I, I also hope that she was into cruising, take, going on cruises. I hope that she was just into <laughs> all cruises and Tom Cruise. Just she into all of it. She seems like somebody that would love a cruise ship. I don't know if Tom Cruise is probably too like little for her. Oh, like petite. <laughs> what? She would have been more into like her husband was uh, Bill Walton. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, geez. Um, One question. I I have a funny story about Christopher Columbus to tell you, maybe off the air, because I'm definitely not allowed to put it out there. Um, (laughs) If you remind me, the um, my question about Houston is I saw this is a pretty vintage survey. So it's from like 2001. Uh But it said that in Houston, the residents there ate out more than any residents in any of the other 39 cities that were surveyed, yeah. is there like a specific restaurant food or restaurant that you miss the most from Houston? Um, I, generally Tex-Mex, I would say. But yeah, I mean, the survey makes sense and it probably is still true now because um, <laughs> uh, I, I do think I would say Houston is probably the maybe first or second best restaurant town in the country. I mean, I guess third, maybe it'd be L.A., Houston, New York, maybe Chicago. But like Houston is up there because there, there's such an audience for trying new places there. And there really is like it's a currency of conversation of like, did you try this new mm-hmm. Tex-Mex place? It's crazy. It's so saturated with Tex-Mex places and anything else, all kinds of cuisine. You would think that you couldn't start a new Tex-Mex restaurant there, but you can if you have a new concept and people will try it Yeah, and they will talk about it as, you know, this is the Tex-Mex place where the burritos turn into tacos, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> and 
a lot of the culture is going to restaurants from fast food all the way up to James Beard winning restaurants. But mm-hmm. there's a big middle part of it that is between the fast casual and what you would think of as like a chain restaurant. But there's a lot of chain type restaurants in Houston that aren't that there's only three of or something. Right, there is a big chain in Houston called the Papacito, uh, Papa's restaurant chain. So that's Papacitos, Papa's Seafood House. Papa, it, they do all these different kinds of cuisines. And that is a big chain. But it still doesn't feel like going to like a TJ Friday's when you go to me. Because it's just like a local. Anyway, there's a huge passion for restaurants in Houston. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do in Houston is obviously a big city. So there were a plethora of people that came up as I like to look up like notable residents from towns that people are from. Mm. But I was really surprised. Obviously you have like the bushes. I don't know if you know that Booker T who Booker T is or the undertaker, they're wrestlers. Um, they're yes. from Houston. I did not uh, know the undertaker Duff. was from there. I think he like was born there. Maybe. Okay. My favorite surprising name on the list to me was Anna Nicole Smith. I kind of forgot that she was oh. from there. I didn't um, know that either. Yeah. I think of like Dennis Quaid. And uh, Zena Garrison, the tennis player, I think is from Houston. <laughs> okay. I, did, I don't so, remember seeing that, but that I'll take your word for it. Yeah. So if your parents were describing you as a kid to someone that had never met you, what do you think they would say about you to describe you as a kid? Mm, probably smart, probably bratty, <laughs> uh, and maybe solitary. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know that. I, although I don't know that my parents would talk about me to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I, I might reject the premise of your question. <laughs> That's fair. That's I was I was expecting that they were at a Tex-Mex restaurant opening with a different couple who had never met you yet. And, I don't you know, remember them like... ever spending time with any <laughs> other adults uh, except for like Chinese relatives. Okay. But like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or Are my dad a... would go to a company picnic every every once in a mm. while, but yeah. Yeah. My parents were like that too. They didn't really like have, it's weird. Cause now they're like, once we all like grew up and then moved, it was like, what are they do- Like, what are they doing now? My, I, I, I have, I get the overwhelming sense from my parents that they were kind of indifferent to my existence in general. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, yeah, like it's funny. Um, I was, uh, having some conversation with a therapist at some point and he said something like how often, you know, things, things for your childhood, such as like how often your parents tell you they love you and how often and they hug you. And I was like, I wonder if I asked my white friends how often their parents hug them, what their answer would like, you know, from, from 10 to 18, mm-hmm. how often their parents would hug them, what the answer would be. And then if I asked my Chinese and Asian friends that same question, because I would honestly mm-hmm. say zero <laughs> is the answer. Uh, uh, times, yeah. times per month average, zero. Oh, yeah. We got hugged all the time. And I, that has to make a difference in the way a person forms their personality. <laughs> yeah, we were. I mean, it was like. Uh, I was going to say every day, but it was even probably multiple times a day. Like if you, if you were getting dropped off at school, you probably get hugged, right? On the way. Yeah, or, or absolutely. You, or come home from school, maybe. Yep. Yep. Before bed. Yeah. <laughs> Before bed. Yeah. This I'd be like, insane. okay, I'm going to bed. Give me a hug. Good night. Wow. Yeah. I, I, and I, I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I like, I literally don't remember. I don't remember getting hugged as a child, like ever. Yeah. <laughs> 
So your world seems crazy to me. The yeah, idea that no. you get hugged when you're just going to a different part of the same house. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to go use the bathroom. Can I have a hug, please? <laughs> um, well, if this ends up working out in, in my favor and we become friends, my parents, they have a room at the house now. If you ever want to go back, they'll, they'll hug you okay. all the time because they, I think, miss us now that we're where do not they, there. Where do they live? They're still uh, near Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. if we do like a road gig in Cincinnati, we can stay there. Yeah, you absolutely can. You started performing, though, right? Like in junior high? Were you in junior high when you first? Yes. Uh, I started doing theater productions in junior high. I actually did one in elementary school. Yeah, I started doing junior high. I was just thinking about the elementary school because I, I do remember uh, it was a play in elementary school called Sis Boomba, but it did have the president song, which I used to know, and it would help me remember the presidents, which is like mm. Washington Adams, Jefferson O. James Madison, James Monroe, and then it went through all of them, but now it's very out of date. Yeah. Um, so I did plays in junior high, high school, but also around high school-ish, I started doing some improv comedy. And yeah, I just sort of went from there. I decided to major in acting coming out of high school. I was sort of choosing between acting and piano because I was studying, I'd taken piano lessons for a long time and decided to go with acting. And our high school theater department was pretty intense. I would highly recommend a book called Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. She is an author. She won the National Book Award with this book. And it's she's from Houston. And that book is not about my high school, but it's about another high school in Houston with a similar intense theater program. And it, it okay. rings very true for my high school experience. But yeah, so I went to college for acting. And then I basically, like, I think the secret to show business is to just not quit. <laughs> <laughs> I never, okay. I was never that, I, I went through phases of being more active or less active, being more motivated to pursue creative endeavors or not, but I never fully quit. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. as long as you don't quit, <laughs> I mean, it helps, I guess, if you're like, if you were immortal, then you could sure. just never quit. Eventually you'd get a job <laughs> acting somewhere. But yeah. th there's something to that aspect of just like, not just sort of hanging around for a while because <laughs> I had like regular I had a whole career as like a web developer coming out of college but I just kind of always kept doing acting and comedy the whole time right on what? so then when it when I moved to Los Angeles like I was already getting work in New York but 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 when it time came that I was starting to book things I had like never really stopped <clears throat> so like I had like you know even the last couple of years, people might say like, oh, I've never seen this guy before. Now I've seen him on stuff. But like I've been doing it for um, 25 years, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I like I it's kind of the thing of when they say like you should do stand up in a small city for like 10 years and then come to New York or L.A. when you've so that you have the chops already. Mm -hmm. um, just by not quitting, you end up with chops. Mm -hmm. OK. <laughs> What was it originally? So you, I didn't know that you did that you uh, played that you played piano as well. But what was it that drew you to like acting and theater specifically? What did you like about it as a kid or as a, uh, yeah, in junior high? I don't know. I mean, I just it just seemed fun to me. Um, I don't. My my school was very into like group projects in almost every single class. So like English history, it was always like here are these four people in three weeks. You got to do a presentation about this and you have to present to the class. Okay. So like I, it didn't seem that different from that. Like I, we were doing, we were like writing sketches and 
this kind of stuff for all the other classes too. I remember like I did a for some presentation about Mark Twain, I like wrote a monologue as Mark Twain and performed it and my teacher was like that was so good. We're going to have you do it at the school presentation today in front of everyone and that was a disaster because <laughs> people in your English class are like, oh, I understand. But like imagine being assembled at like a student assembly and then one of the students gets up, puts on a straw hat and is like, I came in with the Haley's Comet and I'll go out with it. <laughs> a young, like, yeah, whatever. Just a young, fat Chinese boy being like, well, I used to work on the ship and they would say Mark Twain. And then I came up with the name. <laughs> Um, how are you as a student across all the subjects? Like, did you spend all your time going into like arts or like, did you balance everything with, you no, know, like very science, good, math? Very good yeah. student. I, I could have, uh, and, and also defied the basic, uh, um, advice of like, don't go into acting if you can do anything else. Mm-hmm. Because I was like very, like I had good grades. I was a national merit semifinalist. Like, Hell yeah! I had a lot of I had a lot of better careers I could have gone into. <laughs> um, if your if your high school time was like uh, set in Bayside High, which character or which cast member of Saved by the Bell would you have been the closest friends with? I have never watched a single episode of Saved by the Bell. What? Uh, <laughs> wow! I'm I'm older than you, so I think it was uh, like too young for me. Okay. But I guess not Screech. Not Screech, no. I think I'm probably more like the uh, Principal Belding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, his I'll name is Belding? Belding, yeah. Is is there a joke about it being like the ding of a bell? Is that on purpose? Oh, I never even thought of that, but probably. Because wait, the show is called Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell, yeah. And his name and is Belding. Belding. And I've never, ever put that together. They've never explored that. Oh, well. Maybe they did, and it just like went over my head. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's. I'm going to move on to uh, college. You said earlier that you went to North Carolina University of North Carolina um, and studied drama. What was it that made you pick uh, University of North Carolina? I picked that school because it was the only one I applied to that I had to audition for. Um, so I applied to the university of California at Irvine and Northwestern university, all very good schools. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got into all three and I just decided, well, this one I had to audition for. So therefore it must be better. Uh, kind of a, I would say a false sense of meritocracy, which is not necessarily (laughs) true. Cause actually I think, I think I would have been fine going to Northwestern. I think probably Northwestern would have been the one to actually go to, um, North Carolina school of the arts is great school, but, Northwestern, I would have been, I think, connected to, considering that I ended up doing a lot of improv, Mm -hmm. I would have been connected to the Chicago improv scene in a much more organic way. Or I could have gone to UC Irvine, which is like in Southern California where I live now. And now that I live out here, I'm like, I really wish I had lived out here like my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) What I I meant to ask this before with, with uh, improv, like how did you start getting involved in improv? Like, did you, was it something that you had through school or like, did you do it outside of school in the community and as a teenager? So I did some in like theater classes, maybe in school, but then uh, through some outside things. And then we had it as a part of our college curriculum. Okay. Um, and then when I got out of college and went to New York City, I started, I kept doing 
improv there. Although there, yeah, there was a little gap where I didn't. But so when I first got out of college and went to New York City, I did more sketch and stand up. Okay, uh, and then I kind of got back into improv. And it's funny because the, um, let's see, yeah, it's 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 funny. Like I remember feeling like I was getting back into it late, like. Oh, I'm so old to be getting back into it. But I believe I was 29 when I did that. <laughs> but I remember having that feeling of like, oh, I'm going back to this old thing. I'm, I should have my life together. And it's, it. it's crazy that I thought that at 29. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you know, it's a, I, I can see it. I, I, because people do it at such a young, they start like, there are a lot of people doing it at such a young age. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. um was, so was improv first and then stand up or stand up and then improv? I mean, I did some improv in college and stuff. I did stand up when in New York. Okay. Uh, so I would say improv is a little bit, but then I sort of stopped doing improv for a while. So mm-hmm. they've sort of always been one thing and then the other thing. And, you know, I've done a way more stuff in improv. Improv mm-hmm. is a much more like, um, the what is it? Comfort of, li- what do you call it when it's like, it's nice to live in California versus somewhere else? Quality of life? Yeah. Quality, quality of life. yeah. Quality mm-hmm. of life in improv is better than stand up um, because there's a social element to it that's not directly competitive with each other. Um, mm. And, there's uh, whether or not it's true and whether or not there's sort of a fake element to it. The, the like we're community, we're all friends thing is easier to sort of sustain yourself in, in improv than the open mic culture of stand up, which okay. is, which can be very um, daunting at times. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if you put in 10 years of improv and 10 years of stand up, uh, after 10 years of improv, you will be paying zero of your bills with improv <laughs> <laughs> and you could be paying your bills with standup. So there's a cost Shh. benefit to it. Yeah. You might not be, yeah. but, but like, yeah. you know, I've been in, I've been in improv shows that I would say are among the top five improv gigs you could ever have. Like anybody would ever want. Mm-hmm. Um, and got paid like a thousand dollars. You know, if you take the top thousand stand-up gigs in the world they're gonna pay more than that sure sure absolutely and and like you said there's something about like it's like you versus yeah like you you know you i to build your own i think it also just depends on your makeup like i i i think that it, it it's harder for me to sustain things when it's just me so i think that's why like i've been a lot more on and off with stand-up but i have plenty of friends that i've done stand-up with who clearly have this like internal drive to um really show up for themselves over and over and over. And I really admire that ability that they've had to um, craft their acts in a way that's really interesting to me. Like my friends who are, I would say very successful in stand up. A lot of them, even some of them are, some of them are still doing the same jokes they did 15 years ago, mm-hmm. but they have this, uh, like um, a mastery of their own persona that is far advanced from what it was 15 years ago so that it's not even so important like what the material is they're so in control of their comedic character that like they can navigate through any material almost that i think that's amazing it's it that seems like a magic trick to me but then it's a magic trick that they've perfected over a decade yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. It's and and like to somebody that's just seeing them maybe for the first time, it looks so easy. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're just like standing up there doing whatever. And well, you're like, I, yeah, you have no idea. I mean, I just, uh, I'm also, I'm a magic hobbyist as well. And that's the thing they say in magic is like, you know, the difference between a magician and the audience is the magician has like worked on it for hundreds of hours. But I think that's true of just performance in general in that, you know, there's lots of standups that you go see and you're like, they're so brilliant. I can't believe they 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 thought of this they articulated this thought in this way it's like well i mean they they've said it before anyone in public has seen it they've said it five times themselves or whatever and then by the time you've seen it they've literally said it in front of a hundred audiences and crafted what that thought was right (laughs) so you're you're experiencing that like as an audience member you're kind of comparing your off the top of your head brain to this like and it's just the illusion that their their ability to perform it spontaneously or make it seem like it's a natural thought is probably part a big part of the craft as well but like it's funny how we kind of don't realize like yeah i mean they worked on this like yeah yeah absolutely like they've said it another way that didn't land and then they tweaked it and then yeah (laughs) now i will say the intimidating thing is when there's certain stand-ups i've seen particularly like in the uk where they will just be like yeah have you ever seen that set list show where they like uh, mm-hmm. give you a topic and you've got a riff on the topic. Oh no, no, that's uh, terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah, but there's some people that are so good at it that it yeah. that's intimidating. Because yeah. I'm like, I, I actually that's what I mean. But the and these are people that have like, um, have their persona honed to like a razor edge because you can give them any topic, and the words just come out of them. And it, it it'd be a topic in a way that's like there's no way this triggered some like joke they have in their library right you know? um and the words come out in like stand-up form you know like crafted mm-hmm. joke form and those are the people that are like extremely intimidating <laughs> yeah because they could just take anything yeah yeah that's amazing do you have people in mind like that you're thinking of that that fit that bill well my uh i think i saw russell brand do a set list uh, and he's obviously very control of his comedic persona. But my favorite mm-hmm. stand-up in the world is Daniel Kitson, who's a British stand-up who doesn't have any recorded material. Um, and Stuart Lee, uh, who's also British, who, who does have some specials out, who's incredible. Uh, the two of them. And I haven't seen Sarah Silverman riff, but I love Sarah Silverman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Daniel okay. Kitson is a person that... Uh, I was funny. I was listening to your episode... Uh, with I think Elliot Sloan maybe and y'all talking mm-hmm. about favorite actors and I would say mm-hmm. Kit, Daniel Kitson is my favorite stand up and Mark Rylance is my favorite actor uh, and these are these are two sort of like icons I always have in my head of like I would like to be like them uh, and Daniel Kitson specifically is someone that I think you could watch him kind of riff about whatever because my experience of watching him him is that I like the way my brain feels when I watch him. Okay. And walking through his thought processes on things feels fun and good to me, which is a really interesting experience that I don't necessarily have with most standups. Yeah. Um, is the, is the reason that he doesn't have recorded material by his own choosing? Yeah. He, okay. He's a, he's a, um, like you get on his newsletter he will send you like, I'm doing a gig here. Like I've seen him at the Edinburgh fringe. He will say like, I'm doing Edinburgh fringe. I'm doing, um, 
28 shows at midnight at the stand in Edinburgh. Ticket sales start here and it'll sell out in like seven minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, and then he will occasionally be like, okay, I recorded this one stand-up special. You can buy it from my website for $5. It's actually kind of very similar to the Louis C.K. model. Except okay. that except that you can't ever see him. Like You can't YouTube Daniel Kitson. If you right. YouTube Daniel Kitson, you get this one performance from the Melbourne Comedy Festival from years from like 15 years ago that's not really representative. Okay. Um, but I will say that the most representative comedy that you can see in the US of his style is John Oliver. Um, okay. Because there's a certain rhythm to his comedy that I can hear in John Oliver because I think they're friends and have worked on stuff together. Um, so you can hear a little bit of that same tempo in his mm-hmm. comedy. Okay. Right on. I'll have to check. Uh, I'm going to sign up for his newsletter. Not that I'll ever be anywhere near where he's performing. He, but... he does perform in Brooklyn sometimes. <laughs> okay. All right. Right on. It's a quick flight. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your... I mentioned this when I reached out to you about doing this, that I have very strong thoughts on Carolina barbecue sauce. From your oh. time in Carolina, Do you are you a Carolina barbecue fan or no? I am a... Uh... I don't feel strongly about bar. I, my uh, my favorite is pork with vinegar sauces. Okay, yep. and I don't think I think that's actually more. Maybe that's a Carolina thing. I feel like we would yeah. drive sometimes to Lexington, North Carolina, to get barbecue. Okay, uh, but yeah, I like I'm from Texas, but I don't love beef brisket. Um, I mean, it's fine, but yeah. like if I ever, you know, some people are like, "Oh, you go home to Texas to get barbecue." I always get Tex-Mex before barbecue. Yeah. Um, but a pulled pork sandwich, I will have every day. Yeah. I, I also prefer per, pulled pork to brisket most of the time. Um, I do like just like Carolina, but my favorite is like Carolina mustard, like the golden barbecue sauce. Uh, that is like I chef's like that kiss to me. Yeah. Yeah. I um, uh, I grew up eating pulled pork sandwiches from Walmart. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that was like, I would like have that a couple times a week. I think once my parents were like went shopping or something, I would go to the little cafe in Walmart. And then I, then when target came around, they had a pulled pork sandwich as well. So I'm always open to uh, like, if Costco ever adds a pulled pork sandwich, I will be down for that as well. Well, I mean, that would be like next level, right? They're yeah. whole. Yeah. I didn't, my head did not go to like that. It was the Walmart cafe. Like I, I thought think you meant I, like you got it from the deli or no, like, I think my memory is that the Walmart had like a restaurant in it. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, ours did ours did for sure. Um, but that wasn't where I was going. <laughs> Interesting. Um okay, so after after graduation, well, one other question about your time at University of of North Carolina. Did you do any of the crazy traditions like the streaking in the library? <laughs> no, well, I went to North Carolina School of the Arts, which is a arts school in Winston Salem. Oh, that w- that I was, had that way wrong. Well, here's the thing is, it was part of, it was always part of the state system, but it was never called University of North Carolina. Okay. Then, after I graduated, it had been retro-named to be University of North Carolina School of the Arts, which anyone from my generation doesn't like calling it that. Okay. But it has the added benefit of, like, I do like the Tar Heels, and I, I you know, I lived in Raleigh for a while. I always rooted for UNC. I rooted for, you know, the all of the Dean Smith basketball team. So I actually don't mind mm-hmm. that it's a UNC school that I went to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I went to a smaller branch. We didn't have sports. Uh, we had 
a flag football team. <laughs> that was the extent of our sports. <laughs> but that's a school of like 700 to 1,000 arts school students. Okay. Okay. And then after graduation, um, obviously you're wanting to pursue acting. What was it that led you to New York versus like West Coast immediately? Was it? Um... I think it was this sense of like, oh, theater is the legitimate thing to pursue that came from our school. That Again, okay. I think would have been different if I went to UC Irvine. I'm sure that there would have been a different focus. Um, but it was this, uh, I think out of my graduating class, only a couple of people moved to L.A., um, and they did well, so we probably should have yeah. moved out here. Um, <laughs> but there was a thing of like, I, I, I also think that I always wanted to move to New York. Um, yeah, like, you know, you had that thing as a kid. It's like, yeah, I'm going to live there one day. So I think that was probably always going to be the place that I moved. Okay. And with, um, is this where you started, where you got involved with Baby Wants Candy? Uh, yes. I started doing, so... I did. A, I was in improv, and then my friends were like, "Let's make a musical improv group." And okay. we, I think we literally had like two rehearsals, and then Baby Wants Candy was doing a run at the Barrow Street Theater uh, in New York, where TJ and Dave do their runs. Mm-hmm. And people in my group were like, "Let's au- They're having auditions for Baby Wants Candy. <clears throat> they're having auditions for Baby Wants Candy. Let's go uh, audition." And we had only had like two rehearsals. And I didn't go because I was just like, this is silly for us to be trying to audition for this group because we had seen Baby Wants Candy at like Del Close Marathon and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they're legendary. And like two of my friends got in and one of them got understudy. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have auditioned. <laughs> <laughs> so then six months later or so, they were doing shows downtown in uh, New York and needed a sub or something. And I was recommended by one of my friends who had gotten into the, the group, Ashley Ward. And I happened to do it on the same night that like uh, Al Samuels, who's basically runs Baby Wants Candy now, um, so was watching the show. Um, and I happened to do a fun scene with Peter Gwynn, Chicago comedy legend. And uh, I honestly think like the coincidence of Al being in town to see me do a fun scene with this other Chicago improv legend is like, okay, now he's, it's like, you know, then it's like, he's good. Like we'll put him in shows whenever. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you didn't have that coincidence, you could be doing great shows for a while and people would just be like, yeah, he's good. It's whatever. But like just the coincidence of having been seen doing that Mm -hmm. uh, basically helped me become part of Baywood's candy on a regular basis. Nice. Yeah, uh, you know when the, when stuff comes together like that, though it's it um, we'll take it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> when, is that and was it during that time that you uh, co-wrote the Fifty Shades the musical parody? Well, so Baby Once Candy ended up you know but always um, almost always goes to Edinburgh Fringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Fifty Shades I didn't co-write. Fifty Shades I was just in. Oh. So um, so what happened there was we were doing Baby Once Candy at Edinburgh Fringe, and then a producer named Marshall Cordell was like this 50 shades book is a big thing can you mm-hmm. guys make a parody of it so uh amanda blake davis jody shelton al samuels his wife emily deresis ashley ward they wrote oh dan wessels i hope i'm not leaving anyone out they wrote a script for us to perform one time at the edinburgh fringe as kind of a like reading okay and i happened to be part of that reading and it went great. 
And then the next year, they're like, we're going to do it for the whole month. So a year later, they had revised it. And then that year, that was probably the craziest year of, like, craziest month of performance I might have ever done. Because we were doing a short-form show at, like, 3 p.m. We were doing... um. Baby Wants Candy at five and doing Fifty Shades of the Musical at eight at three different wow. venues in Scotland. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got involved with that. And then Fifty Shades went on to like tour the US and then they did it. We did an off Broadway run. It was, it was great. Like, it was a great experience overall. It was incredible. Yeah. Had you seen all the, I'm sure you had you already seen all the movies or did you watch them or read the books? I in don't study think the first movie was out. We, I okay. read the first book. The book. Okay. I only read the first book and then I don't okay. think the movies, I think the movie came out sometime in that run. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there was one review that I read that started with the phrase. I, I just love this. I thought it was so, um, poetic. <laughs> it, the phrase was mimed cunnilingus aside. It was like, <laughs> I was like, that is beautiful. <laughs> That's like, um, E.E. E. Cummings poem. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it like play? Cause you played Christian gray, right? Which, um, yes, is, I did. as people who may not have read, I've never read the books. Um, I have seen part of the movie with my wife mm-hmm. against my, against my, uh, <clears throat> choosing, uh, but, uh, a business tycoon who's definitely into bondage. What was it like, like playing that? sort of a role obviously in in a parody i mean playing this role was honestly one of the best experiences i've had just as a life experience because i learned so much from it i gained so much confidence from playing that part um the the feeling of like i have this idea for this care i have this commitment to what i think the idea for how to play this character is and have it actually work out where like people went along with it was Mm -hmm. was extremely affirming to just um having the sense of like oh if i have an a comedic idea and i commit to it there will be people that buy into it that's not something that everybody just knows intuitively you know mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of sense of gosh if i try this you know is this gonna fail or you try it and people don't get it or they think you're weird or whatever which is just to say that like um that that was a part that no one very oh, no one in the audience ever wanted me to play that part so that was it was an audience that was very much fans of the book and even mm-hmm. if there were other parodies of 50 shades going around at the time there's at least two or three other shows and in all of those other shows the guy playing christian gray looks like what like jamie dorn jamie jamie dornan from the movie like they they look mm-hmm. like what the book describes mm-hmm. and i do not even though this is an audio podcast, you can Google the way I look and I don't look like the way the book describes Christian Grey. Um, so it was an interesting challenge, a setup where it was I had guaranteed audience resistance from the moment I showed up on stage. Hmm. And when I say resistance, I mean like vocal resistance when the lights came up. People saying like, no, <laughs> like people like walking out of the theater sometimes. Wow. Just, just from seeing me. And that's an interesting thing to come up against over and over across the country mm-hmm. for years. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the material was written in such a way, and I, I mean, and I think I was good enough in the role that there, I won them over by the end of the show. Like I, 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 I like demonstrably won them over by the end of the show in the sense that like, um, there were people, there were women that were like giving me their phone number at the end of the show or like, Oh wow. Yeah. Um, a woman bit me once. Wow. Wasn't that great. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, so like when the, when, so that was just as a life experience, it was a fascinating thing because it was this, I learned a lot about like, okay, for one, one thing, like confidence is, uh, so much stronger than you think it is. Like you could just be Mm -hmm. like, I know none of you want to see me in this part, but I just believe I am good enough in this part. And in 90 minutes, you're going to be, you're going to (laughs) agree. Yeah. So that's just a crazy thing to come out of that feeling like, Oh, I can like win over a hostile audience, you know, Mm -hmm. if I have the right material and the right direction and a great cast, but still it's, it's just a, it was not something I knew. Like I know that in my bones now in a way that I didn't know before doing that show. That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's very cool. And I, I, um, I would say that I think that it gives me the confidence to do, um, you know, I say Mark Rylance is my, my like, favorite actor. It gives mm-hmm. me the confidence to pursue craft in what I perceive the way he does, which is that to have the confidence that an audience will come to you in your work and that you don't always have to, like, be pushing out your idea of what a character is. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you haven't seen him in Wolf Hall, it's amazing. I mean, he's, he's inc- incredible in don't look up, which is on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that feeling of like, he kind of just always, there's a thing of you, you leaning in to like, figure out what's going on with him as opposed to him being like, here's what my character's thinking all the time. I'm mm-hmm. laying it out on a plate for you. Right. You know, he like draws really, you in. Yeah, he really draws you in. And, and and I think you have to have some internal confidence for that to work. That's interesting. I still haven't seen Don't Look Up yet. It's on our list to watch. Um, I'm sure with winter, you know, we're in like prime watching season here in Chicago. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it very soon, I'm All sure. All the Netflix servers in Chicago just like go yeah. haywire. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I did a big um, once candy show there in November of 2019 or something. And it, mm-hmm. it, to them, the people local, it wasn't that cold yet. And yeah. I was like, this is unbearable. I don't understand how you even go outside. <laughs> it, like you to don't. go from the apartment to the Uber to get to the theater. I was like, uh, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. And, there, and people were like, eh. like there were people just like wearing like a hoodie and jeans. Yeah. And, and it's I was wearing like a like badge a full, of honor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people probably wear shorts as long as they can or. Yeah, it was their high here yesterday was 39 and I had to stop and get gas. And there was a guy pumping gas that was wearing sandals and shorts <laughs> and no and no jacket. He may have had like a hoodie on. Wow. As I get older, I'm like less I'm less able to deal with it. You know, uh-huh. like I go like head to toe covered at this point. I just don't even care. I mean, I also think <laughs> I've been softened up by Los Angeles. Of course. You know, yeah. Yeah, because I have friends that like from Cincinnati who now live in L.A. and they'll come home and they'll be like, it'll be like sixty or something, and they're like, oh, I need a jacket, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, get out of here. <laughs> um, yeah, Chicago's fun. It's you know, um, but it's definitely cold for sure. <laughs> I love Chicago. I think Chicago has so many, you know, 
in a way, I think Chicago's like got so many good options for just like performing and seeing things, and also such a culture for like, um, like it's you know probably better than New York or L.A. If you're in like a a good comedy show or on a good team improv team in Chicago, it has a different regard for that than the other cities do. I think. I think in L.A. they're just kind of like, what's yeah, but what TV shows are you on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I love that feeling of of Chicago, being in Chicago and being like, oh, have you heard of this team uh, called Let Them Hoes Fight? Or mm-hmm. what was the other <laughs> one that was like, like it was like, let's get out of this terrible sandwich shop or something? <laughs> there are so many great, great teams. Names. Yeah, um, and great well, teams. <laughs> I saw I saw a mashup show between these two teams that was called something like let them hoes get out of this terrible sandwich shop or something. Mm. Uh, but it was like, honestly, like one of the best improv shows I'd ever seen. And the fact that like, if you're a good improv team, you can have like 40 to 50 people come see your show every week. Yes. That's yeah. I love that about Chicago. Yeah. Just don't yeah, love the weather. Fix that. It's yeah. I'm working <laughs> on it. We're, we're working on it slowly with global, uh, climate change. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting there. If there's a, a good thing about climate change, it's just like the change part. Just change it to something else. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make LA the, the snowscape for a little while <laughs> for a couple eons. You can have it. Yeah. You can have it. Um, I want to switch to TV and uh, TV for a little bit. You've had a lot of, uh, roles in, in a bunch of different shows like broad city and, um, this is us atypical. Um, I think most notably playing a recurring character of Jerry on Superstore, mm-hmm. which actually when the pandemic hit, this was the first thing that my wife and I binged from oh. start to finish. Uh, we loved it. It was great. Um, when you went to audition for that role, well, I'm assuming you auditioned for the role that it wasn't like a, <laughs> we have this guy in mind. Um, uh, it may be, you tell me, um, but if you if you went to an audition, like how much of that character was defined at the time that you tried out versus like how much did you make it your own? <clears throat> uh, so the answer is I did not audition for this part. Whoa. And the answer is that not very much of the character was defined. So what happened was I auditioned for a different role on Superstore. A couple okay. episodes before Jerry's appearance, there was an episode um, about a youth group leader who had left stuff in, I think it's called lost and found. They basically find all this weird stuff in this guy's jeans or something. And they're like, it's like a joint of this and a that. And they're like, and I think Sandra and, and maybe Dina become like a detective team. And they're like, we got to figure out what's going on with this weirdo. <laughs> and they bring him in and interrogate him about like what he's doing with this youth group. So I auditioned for that part, did not get it. And then was just told that they had this other part for me. So okay. I actually don't know the backstory. I think it's because they wanted a storyline for Sandra, maybe, and we're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this guy would be a good fit." But then I um, was just offered the part, and the first episode I did was like we met at this um, restaurant, and uh, no, there wasn't anything like this is what this guy is going to be. It was just here's the script, and in that episode is mostly about them being very simpatico about a lot of things like vampire diaries and stuff yeah. like that. So I, it was just, I played it the way I thought it was on the text and, you know, uh, it just kind of went from there. It was always an organic thing. I was never like, it was never like, here's who he is and here's how he's got to be. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they responded to like what 
chemistry we had between us or the chemistry I had with Irene White, who played Carol. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was all, it was it was always a shifting thing because also Jerry went into a coma. Yep. And then he came out with some seems like he had some kind of head injury. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the character of Jerry was a little uh, uh, would shift from one moment to the next. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. How fun was it to play? Uh, you mentioned the, um, with Carol, but how much fun was it to play in that weird sort of like crazy love storyline with Sandra and Carol? It was amazing. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny when we're talking about the 50 shade stuff, I don't know if maybe I wouldn't have been able to do it with the ease that I did if I hadn't done 50 shades because I already had experience being like a sexual object, like mm-hmm. for, couple of years doing the 50 shades show and my role in superstore is very much as this like um you know currency being traded back and forth between sandra and carol and like it was amazing because uh I, honestly i still think it's surreal to see myself on television mm-hmm. you know and i maybe a lot of actors experience this but it's really weird to be um watching like a different show on television. And then they're like, what's going to happen between Sandra and Jerry this weekend? Like, Oh, that's me. They're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Or even to be watching an episode of Superstore that I'm not in. And they're like, well, you know, Jerry did this. And I'm like, Oh, they're talking about my character. Right. Um, Right. (laughs) But the weirdest thing is to have like, when the wedding happened to have our wedding be like the sweeps event for NBC that month. Yeah. That was insane to me to see like the wedding of Sandra and Jerry. It's like, yeah. Um, so yeah, the whole thing, that was, that was all amazing. It's, it's been, but, uh, you know, a, a more, a thing that I was very proud of was like Sandra and Jerry, are both Asian characters. We're both, or Pacific Islander, uh, Coleco is, um, we had a pretty legit romance, mm-hmm. uh, that was sexual you know, like we were not like they talked a lot about how much sex we had. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and so I I was very proud of that. And also, like, I have been approached by so many people that are couples of color, a lot of Asian, a lot of Latino um, couples that are like, you guys were our favorite. And it's like I it's very clear to me that a lot of people liked seeing people that looked like them be mm-hmm. the like main romantic focus of a show, even though we were, you know, ev- oh, sure. Eventually it was about, you know, America and Ben, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying for a couple seasons there, it was like, we were the main thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that was unusual for a lot of people. And I think it's, I mean, it certainly matters to me, that kind of thing. It was just interesting to see um, in public, like a lot of the people that come talk to me and like, they clearly meant something to them. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, um, I don't think it like it, it's like representation matters so much that and it just gets overlooked all the time, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, I, I th- also, uh, I think that even even <laughs> this is this is a great way to start a sentence. Even white people. Uh, <laughs> no, but even like people that are just more like regular, you know, mm-hmm. like people that are just like regular American couples that aren't like by conventional standards, like super hot models or, you know, actor, you know, uh, leading men, leading women. Like, I think a a lot of them have also just been like, we just loved your relationship. It was like, it felt 
because by by American standards, even like Jim and Pam from The Office are very good looking people, you know? Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm not saying that me and Kaliko are not good looking, but we are, you know, I think a lot of more sort of just a wider swath of people can relate to our relationship. Yeah, it was a really fun relationship, honestly. It was it was very fun. And I, I loved um, Carol, too, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> she was she was great. Um, you had a lot of fun moments, like like you mentioned the, the one, probably not a fun moment, but big moments, uh, like getting injured in the tornado and mm-hmm. going into a coma. Not fun necessarily, but big. Um, like you mentioned, sort of being currency. You literally at one point like went to the winner of a coin toss, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> dressed up as the Easter Bunny, and then like you mentioned, had a a fun wedding at a Wild West themed restaurant. Do you have a favorite Jerry memory from the show? Um, or moment. I would say my favorite memory is the. We had a sex scene in Glenn's office that um, my favorite memory is that we actually shot a much racier version that was not allowed to be aired. Okay. So we had to come back six weeks later and reshoot that scene. <laughs> so I, I'm proud of that scene because I'm like, I can't believe we're doing this on television and that yeah. they're that we're the ones doing it. But like the original version of that scene was me. She, her sitting in the chair and me coming up from under the chair <laughs> and being like, Hey Dina, what's going on? And while we were shooting, it, I was like, we're allowed to do this on network television. <laughs> so I just love the, the ambition of that. I remember the writer Dio was like, yeah, I mean, they said we sent them the script and they saw it and they said, it's okay. And then like later we got this message. That I was like, uh, they saw it and they're like, no, but my, I love, I love the, the audacity of that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I do have to ask about the crab sweater. Um, yes. I don't know if you, do you have the crab? Did you get to no, keep the crab I sweater? No, I tried to get it after shooting was done and uh, I don't, I never heard back. Um, and also it's not a crab image that you can get. Like it was custom drawn by the art department. So, yeah, because I've had people be like, you should sell the Jerry crab sweater. Yeah. Uh, but actually I think it's the work of that artist. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my wife has been on the hunt for one and she cannot find one. So she is amongst those people who are pissed and probably think you should sell it. I think your um, wife should take a screenshot and make her own Etsy store and I'll buy one from her. I, I will see what, what I can do. No promises, but I'll see what I can do. She's pretty crafty. Um, for people that are listening that may not know what the crab sweater is, by the way, um, it's a do you want to describe it? Uh, it's a sweater that was talked about. Um, as when you're feeling crabby, you have to wear the crab sweater so that a way of knowing that you're in a bad mood and became kind of discussed in several episodes. And in one episode I did wear it to the store, but I think it was yeah. also mentioned in our wedding, I think by Glenn or something like it got mentioned a couple of times and I get asked about it a fair amount. Cause I think people respond to that. It's probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great idea because a lot of times. I feel like people don't know that somebody might be upset with them or angry or upset, you know, whatever, have their feelings or whatever the case may be. And it was a great indication to be like, no, I'm pretty crabby right now. And you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I saw recently that for people going back to work in their offices, that there are these like lanyards you can wear where it's like green is I'm okay with handshakes and hugs. Yellow is I'm okay for conversations, but distance and red is like please leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) i need one of those i think that'd be be like orange (laughs) at work it would be orange for sure (laughs) well yeah um i I think that'd be 
I don't know. I think that'd be great. I would love when I, I worked that. in an office job. I would have loved a little like um, stoplight that's like, don't stop by my cubicle to make chit chat about, you know, whatever. And, and also, the thing I really wanted when I worked in a day job was, if you send me an email, I will get to your email in what I consider a timely fashion, which is like sometime today. Yeah. You don't need to call me to tell me that you sent me an email and you certainly don't need to stop by my desk and tell me that you sent me an email. No. And that happens a lot in corporate culture. All the time. Hey, I just shot you a note and you're like, yeah, I haven't read it yet because I have 18 other emails that I haven't read. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen like work productivity things where they're like, you should um, respond to emails twice a day. So like, Put an autoresponder on your email that's like, hey, I respond to emails from 10 to 11 and 3 to 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I tried that at my job and it did not go over well. Mm-mm. No, people get mad. Yeah. Yeah, there's an expectation that you're like immediately responding pretty the, much. The, the place that I held the line was eventually at my day job, I had a desk, uh, I had an office. And on one side of it was my boss. So we shared a wall. Mm-hmm. And I made a point of I had never responded to him when he would yell through the wall at me. Mm-hmm. Like I never once, never <laughs> once did I ever say like, it's okay for you to yell through the wall. Like I would make him, I would just ignore him until he called me. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. We, I don't have that. I'll say <laughs> for sure, <laughs> which is good. Cause I'm like, you. Yeah, I don't know that I would respond so well to that. No, I hate that. Or at all. <laughs> Um, what's, what's, what other things are you, do you have going on projects wise, anything lined up, like anything you can talk about? Uh, no, I just have auditions that I go for. Uh, I recently auditioned for a show that I really, really like, I mean, what they say is you're in the mix for, uh, but it's one of those things that I'm like, really, uh, there've been a couple projects over the years where like, even if I don't get this, I would really be excited for this project to come out. And so that's one, uh, and I'm writing, I'm doing stand up such as it is in Los Angeles. Um, and I am writing some scripts. I'm doing some stuff on my own. Um, it, yeah. Auditioning during this pandemic has been very strange. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just working on my own stuff. I, I mean, I am doing more stand up, and I was doing more stand up as in the little window over 2021 when it was like, Oh, it's sort of okay again to be in public. In, mm-hmm. in live performance. But now, right now, it feels like maybe we're going back to the Zoom shows. Right. Yeah. For a little while. I know. And Zoom, so Zoom on stand-up is... Uh, I mean, stand-up on Zoom is not the best. No. It's... I would imagine... I have, I've never done one. I have I have watched them. Yeah. But, like, to perform at one, I have not done. And I don't know that I could, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I'm sure you <laughs> could. It's just weird. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a weird place to do anything developmental because it's like an open mic on zoom is like part of an open mic is like, you're supposed to be getting feedback from people about the material. You know, you're supposed to feel that, feel that energy responding or not responding. And on zoom, it's all skewed because the response is so jagged and the audio is weird and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Rough. It's rough. (laughs) 
Those are my questions for the first round. Are you good to keep going into the second round? Yeah, the sure. five for five? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this round is called the five for five round. It is named after an Arby's culinary deal from the 90s where oh, you get yes. five classic roast beef sandwiches for $5. America's roast beef? Yes, sir. Love it. Love it. Um, so in this round, uh, I have five questions prepared for you. I believe you have five questions prepared for me, and you are the guest, so I will allow you to go first. Oh, okay. My first question is, what's your favorite Wilco song? I actually don't know any Wilco songs. How do you live in Chicago? <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I'm not from here. I if know, you but you're, I mean, there's lots. I, they're a Midwest band. Yeah. Um, here's what I'll I'm say. I'm literally wearing probably, my Wilco concert shirt. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry to disappoint you. Um, if, the, I probably do know them. I just don't know their like. It's one of those things where, like, I know the song, but I don't know who sings it, and I don't know what it's called. Does that make sense? Yes, but I don't think their music is like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well maybe not then. <laughs> um, the, the next, uh, the next, the okay, the next five white dudes that you hang out with between uh, thirty four and fifty seven. Ask them mm -hmm. what Wilco album they, they recommend in Chicago. Okay. <laughs> in Chicago, it's gonna have. Could, they're gonna have to be. You're gonna have to hit some Wilco heads. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I know that I would. Um, I just don't know any of, I don't know any songs off the top of my head. Yeah. Just sorry to disappoint you. I mean, what's your relationship <laughs> to country music? I like country music. Well, <laughs> I like country music. I would say get the album Being There by Wilco. That's the okay. first, that's like the second album. And that is. Can I uh, write down the name real quick? Yeah. That's a masterpiece, I would say. In my phone. And, and the reason I ask what your relationship to country is that is more country ish than their later work, which is more rock. Prog Got it. progressive rock i would say <laughs> um let me see sorry okay yep i found it on spotify so i will listen to it <laughs> i will listen to it today actually this right, afternoon. Cool. uh my first question for you is as a kid did you eat the crusts on your sandwiches or not uh i did but i i really like not having them <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would sometimes separate the crust and then have the sandwich and then maybe eat the crust after I think I did that too. My mom was not about letting us waste it. Yeah. Like she was like, no, you're not like that's, you know, I paid for that. Like you're going to eat it. Um, what made me think of this is I actually, do you know, like Uncrustables? Yeah, I mean, have I heard of them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. We have them at our house. I'm definitely too old uh, for that. And I know, honestly, I think you're too old for that. <laughs> I am too old for that. And I was going to say, we don't have children. So it's literally two people over 40 right. living at a house, buying Uncrustables. So at someone the grocery comes store. to your house, they open the pantry. They're like, uh, there's Lunchables, Uncrustables, there's Go-Gurts. Uh, so how many kids do you have? <laughs> a lot of times the cashier, I'm sure, thinks that we're shopping like for our children. Uh, and it's actually just us. But um, I, I mean, I've never I had, had one. I'll try one. I had an Uncrustable today, and they changed the packaging design. Oh, of the sandwich wrapper. So I think you should go to, your, about, go to your nearest um, elementary school and gossip with the kids about that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? They're all doing virtual. <laughs> I'll get on Zoom with get them. Get on we'll Zoom, talk shit but about. let's talk Uncrustables, <laughs> and then the parents will be like, "So, uh, a forty-year-old man came into your Zoom today <laughs> and mm -hmm. mentioned eating delicious things." Yeah, and then he put a screen shared a, a photo of his white van. 
Yeah, Jesus. Yep. <laughs> when you say it like that, it does sound worse than than I imagined. Yeah. It when in my I head. imply pedophilia, it does seem worse. Yeah. It seems I, a under- worse. I understand that. That, uh, <laughs> that takes it in a worse direction. <laughs> yeah. I do think you should try Uncrustables, though. I will they're, try that. Um, they're delicious. Wait. Are, uh, and if you don't like well, them, I guess my question is: Is there a savory one, or is it all PB and J? No, there are savory ones. I only eat the uh, peanut butter and jelly ones, okay. though. I will try um, that. They have strawberry and grape. Um, That's not savory. If you buy them, <laughs> if you buy them at Costco, they are larger, so the ratio oh. is off. Oh, um, so, so don't you gotta buy get them, them at, at like I would not buy them at Costco. Okay. Plus, you'll have like twenty eight of them then. Right. Like if you go to the regular grocery store, there's like four in a box. Gotcha. So. Okay. And they're two ounce. That's the one. That's the way to go. Grape. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and if you don't like it, I'll I'll pay you your money back. Wow. That's, That's an outstanding a, endorsement I mean, for it, Uncrustables. I mean, in LA, Uncrustables cost seven hundred dollars. So, okay, get, ready, well, get your you know. Venmo ready. <laughs> we don't we don't spare any expense on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for your second question for me. Well, the other some of the uh, I have four questions. I thought of, and I was going to improvise the fifth one, and these are slightly invasive, so you can uh, you know take the. I'm fifth, pretty open. Take the fifth if you want. Um, yeah, but I was going to say this last, but I'll just ask it now. Why are you doing this podcast? Yeah, uh, because I used to do stand up uh-huh. uh, more. I, mean, or I and... guess my question is, why are you? Uh, what have you discussed or thought about? Like, what's the element of you wanting to acquire friends? Oh, like on a deeper level? Yes. Um, it's more like, um, or is it just a fun I, gimmick for a podcast? <laughs> it's a fun gimmick for a podcast. Um, I do like having friends. Uh, and I do um, like staying in touch with people like over the years, like people have come in and out like of my life. But in general, I needed like a gimmick for a podcast because I feel like there are so many. Yeah. And so I found this um, this uh, psychologist that wrote this like fast. It's called Fast Friends Protocol, uh-huh. um, where you basically go through asking more increasingly personal questions oh, over well, time. Then, oh, this is great. Then my questions are great. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, this is a great way to structure it. And, um, so basically I went yeah. from what is your favorite Wilco song to why are you so lonely? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I did, well, maybe the increment was a little severe. <laughs> Um, but, but it is, uh, it is absolutely a gimmick for a podcast. I mean, I like everyone that I've talked to so far too. So Does the uh, psychologist know about your podcast? Uh, I don't know that. Um, I should probably reach out to him. He's still, he's, he's still likes, uh, teaching at a school in New York somewhere. All right. So expect a cease and desist very soon from that psychologist. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. Uh, well, the, the reason I ask is like, I think it's, um, a challenge for I, I don't know if it's specifically for men, but I will say that like uh it's not that easy to like make new friends as it's an not. adult. Most of my friends have come from work and most of them, quite honestly, like I feel like um are female. Like I don't have a lot of guy friends that are because it's like I grew up um with a lot of female cousins in the same age range as me and spent a lot of time with them in my like formative years. Uh-huh. And so I think like I didn't like do a lot of the same. I don't know. So it's like, I don't, I it's weird for me to have like a friendship with a guy. If I don't like, do, I don't like, we don't do hunting. We don't, you know, it's like, I like things that people would do with like their friends that are guys. I don't do. <laughs> I love that hunting is the one you went to. <laughs> well, where I grew up. Yeah. Hunting. I mean, you know, muzzleloader season, the first day of that, like nobody went to school. Um, oh my goodness. 
Oh yeah, it's crazy. In between your um, parental hugs, your loading guns. Yes, absolutely. That's your childhood. It's, is like hugs and guns. <laughs> yeah, and that's the problem with America. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, my second question for you is: When you uh, are flying out at the airport, how early do you get to the airport for a flight? Uh, if it's domestic, I'll try to do ninety. Okay. If it's international, I'll do like two or two and a half because I, the first time, I, it wasn't the first time I, maybe it was the first time I flew international as an adult. Um, I was to London for a rugby tournament and I got to the airport like 45 minutes before the flight mm-hmm. and they were like, you were supposed to be here an hour ago. Like you're the, <laughs> you, we're not checking, but like it's closed. Like I just missed the flight. Wow. It was because I didn't, I mean, I must have known, but I it, now for international, because domestic, you can always find some other path to get there. But that one was like, mm-hmm. I get to the thing a day late. Yeah. Because I just couldn't, there, you know, the next flight was nine hours later or something like that. And then I would miss a connection, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oof. Gosh, I think if you miss one flight, maybe you're just scarred. Because I also get there very early, and I missed a flight once. It was just a domestic flight, but weirdly yeah. for domestic flights, if it's if especially if I only have carry-ons, that I will just like I'll walk up like <laughs> twenty minutes before. I don't know why. I just I don't care as much. It's yeah. mostly about the baggage. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I get that. <laughs> All right, your third question for me. Uh, well, this is related to my. Are you? Are you? Is your day job advertising? Uh, yeah, I work in marketing. Okay. I was going to say, my question is, I used to work in advertising agencies though. Like uh, this will be a, this is kind of a two-parter, but like, how is the podcast doing and how did you get ads for your podcast? So the podcast is doing okay. Like it's exceeding my expectations. Uh Um, I don't know. Cause I'm not. I'm doing it as like a, lo- a project of love. <laughs> uh-huh. So it, like I literally just do it as like a fun thing to do. Um, but it's exceeding my expectations from like a downloads perspective and a streams perspective. And um, I'm seeing like really fun things. Like I actually just saw this last night. Um, if I like looked on Apple podcasts, the people that were like in the, you might also like were people like that I love. Oh, great. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like Fortune Feimster, absolutely. I'll take that any day. Right. Um, so I feel like it's going well. I'm having a blast also. Um, my thing was I said I if it started feeling like it was work, then I would stop doing it because it's my escape from work. Uh-huh. Um, how did I get commercials? Do you know? It depends. One, I have not had a paid sponsor to date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a couple of them were like friends that have businesses um, to do like uh, case studies to see if I could like get to a place where I could like try to sell a sponsorship. Right. Um, one of them was just a product that I genuinely <clears throat> liked and it was uh, done in a similar way because they they do more like micro influencer strategy, I uh-huh. guess. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's, um, but I wouldn't take a pro- like, I wouldn't take a product, either paid or non-paid, uh, and make a commercial for something that I truly didn't think was a good product. Right, right. right. So, yeah. that's I mean, a, you know, until like some pharmaceutical company is like, here's a million dollars. <laughs> sure. That, then okay, yeah, that's fair. I should say it. At the current state that I'm at, yeah. uh, and the and the budget we're talking, I would not do that for a million dollars. I'd probably think about it until <laughs> until big internet mattress comes calling. Yeah, and I, you know what, Abs- best mattress I've ever used. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. <laughs> um, my third question for you is: What's something that you hid from your parents as a kid? 
Uh, my gayness probably is one. Uh, okay. As a kid, I hid that from them. I'm trying. I think. I don't. Like I said, like I uh, my 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 modern perspective on my childhood is that like, like I wasn't hiding anything from them because like they were not that inquisitive about me. I'm the mm-hmm. youngest of mm-hmm. four, so like I was really left to my own okay. devices in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I came out to them when I was in college. But okay. um. I I don't know. I don't have that feeling of like, (laughs) I mean, it really sounds terrible, but like, you know, I never felt like I was hiding something because it didn't seem like they cared. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, this is, this is not a good look for my parents, but, um, you know, like I don't ever had, I didn't have like a secret journal that I was worried that on the other hand, I will say, I would say a good way to look at it is, is they were not invasive of my space or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Cause I know people who have had parents that are like, they had a journal and they read their diary and all that stuff. You know, it's just that mine might've come out of indifference or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'm, it's possible that my parents come from a more like, um, is it like Edwardian or uh, era feeling of like the children should be like not seen or heard, you know? Oh, okay. You know, just yep. sort of fend for themselves. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I think there's pluses and minuses of that. I always grew up thinking like, oh, I was so independent. It was an advantage that I like sort of took care of myself. Um, I like literally didn't have any rules ever about when I had to be home, where I could be anything. Like I had no wow. restrictions whatsoever. And I think it did forge a very independent perspective for my part. But, uh, you know, lately I've been like, wait, but also I was like isolated and like kind of left alone. There's good things to being left alone and, and maybe not so good things about being left alone. Sure. So. Sure. I, um, I was <laughs> where my head was with that question was like, uh, my, like I hid like, uh, I would like steal road signs. Oh, <laughs> so I mean, and I love are, where you went are, with it. And those are way bigger than you think. Yes, they are. They're very large. And they're sunken in the bottom of a lake near my parents' house now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of a body, they're, they're going to dredge it and be like, what's this yield sign? Yeah, absolutely. And on the back of it, it's spray painted, Logan is cool. <laughs> my fourth question for you is, so I'm now, now I need to revise because I think they need to be, because they need to be increasingly personal. <laughs> um, no pressure. <laughs> uh, okay, so... My question then would be, uh, what is your relationship to your body? My body? Yeah. Like body positivity? Or your image or your health or whatever. Oh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have struggled with weight like my entire life since like fourth grade. I remember fourth grade was like the first time I realized I was like a fat kid. Um, I was probably fat before then, like a little bit. Um so it's been like a lifelong struggle, I think with not, I don't think with the pandemic, um, it's been something I've tried like multiple times to get into check and I, I never can cause it's, it's always been like an emotional eating thing. For yeah, me. yeah. Um, and then when you pair that with like just being lazy, it's, you know, <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. Um, and with the pandemic, I have like definitely been emotionally eating a lot. Um, yeah. so I actually just had a conversation with my therapist this week where she's like, you have, uh, you need to stop the like berating of yourself right now and like give yourself a time period. Um, because 
everything it's she's like it's it's a really shitty time to be a therapist because a lot of times the answer is like yeah everything sucks right now you know are your um, sessions in person or on zoom they're on zoom okay yeah i was gonna say yeah. it's a great time to be a therapist right now oh yeah they're fucking she, yeah. rolling in it <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> they, and they don't have to leave their house like uh, i know they're, they're booked nine to nine every day yes yeah yeah, she's really it's actually really hard to get in. So I had like gotten to a place where I felt comfortable only seeing her like once a month or so. Yeah. Um, but I then I had like a setback, I would say, around Christmas and uh and it took a long time to get into her this week. So I was like, girl, we're gonna have to book up like through February. Yeah. Cause I can't go like another four weeks now this time, you know. It's I, like I think that it's a good uh you know, I would say probably it's probably even you probably shouldn't even like consider yourself to be lazy that's probably even like a bit of a negative label to put on yourself and because the other thing i was thinking was like so uh, in the in the grand perspective of things yes of course it's probably physically better to get in better shape i'm also a (laughs) overweight person um but like you know 30 years from now is it's going to mean is it going to mean that you lived an extra 18 months? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, or maybe it's just not worth being so hard on yourself for. Yeah. No, and you're all, right. All, the, other, it, the other thing is, is like, it doesn't work to be hard on yourself. That's the other thing is like, you can look no. at like, everybody who's fat has been like, um, self-critical, very harsh about themselves for decades and it doesn't work. Right. So correct. that's the other thing. I, I love that when like fucking Joe Rogan is just like, why don't you just eat right or whatever? It's like, well, if shaming fat people work to get them thinner, then right. we would all be thin. Yeah. So just try something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had like, I've literally gone into, I've had like weight loss surgery before uh-huh. that I've basically like found ways to like, you know, there's a way to work around everything. You drank a lot of <laughs> calories. Yeah. 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 And then, or yeah. So then it's like, it doesn't change your brain, right? Like the way that your like brain is wired. So, uh, you know, I, like I came out of like the second weight loss surgery being like, how many weeks until I can like ground up a Big Mac, you know, into like a food processor. Like that's And by the way, that doesn't taste good that way. (laughs) I wouldn't think, yeah, I think texturally it might be strange. Yeah. It was really disgusting as a liquid form. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I, so it's something I'm working on for sure. It's, uh, it's it's probably the biggest the biggest like challenge that i have right now yeah yeah my fourth question for you is what's a lesson that you've had to learn the hard way oh hmm what's the lesson my fifth th- question is a little easier okay what's fourth, my lesson so you know. that i've had to learn the hard way yeah um i mean i would say that i would take like i would say you and your wife Make a list of like the top 10 things you argue about. And then I would say take the bottom five, the bottom seven, and just don't argue about those anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I had, I was with um, my boyfriend who we essentially were partners. We were domestic partners actually for from 2000 to 2014. And he had a heart attack and died. And. Mm the amount of time and energy that we spent arguing about things, they just seem very silly later to be arguing about and Mm -hmm. just not worth it at all. And also 
to my previous point about losing your weight or whatever, we argued about a lot of um, things, either health-related or not, that if you're like, oh, on this date, he's going to have a heart attack and die, then like maybe it's not worth arguing about this other thing. Uh, you know, some, I don't know. I, I'm trying to frame this in a like right now in COVID, right? Like you could you could argue about whether or not you're going to lose weight, right? Or not mm-hmm. that not I'm not I'm not saying that you argue about that with your wife, but like yeah, you don't have to be harsh about maybe losing weight if like six months from now you catch COVID and die. Like then you've spent a significant portion of your life worrying and having anxiety and having all the stress about something that didn't end up killing you anyway. So I'd say the lesson I learned the hard way was that there's just a lot of unnecessary crap that was, um, that we riled up tension or drama between us about that Mm -hmm. does not matter at all. So if, Mm -hmm. if somebody else who is not in my situation, who didn't go through that could know that like a lot of the stuff that you are creating drama about right now is so meaningless and if you're enjoying that drama, then go for it. But if it's a thing that's like <laughs> making you miserable, uh, even you should let go of it, even if you feel like you're losing by letting go of it. Like, even if it's a thing that's like, oh, I got to be I got to I got to show them that I'm right about this. So that's why I'm going to argue about it, because this is a principle that I have. Like a lot of those principles don't matter. In the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my lesson is principles don't matter. <laughs> yeah. No, that's I mean, you know, that's something that. Yeah. It takes a long time, I think, for people to get there sometimes. Um, all right. It's time for your fifth and final question for me in this round. Okay. My final question is what uh, have you thought about? What's your feelings about stand up comedy? And are you going back? Are you letting it go? What's your no, relationship to it? it? Yeah. T- abusive. Uh, <laughs> no, it's. Um, I started doing stand up very late. So uh-huh. I was like 35 the first time I ever even like did it uh-huh. like at all. And, um, and with having like a day job that's pays the bills and, and I also enjoy, um, it, it, and, and a lot of it happening late at night, it's hard to balance both for me. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I kind of, um, after I took like a really short class at the Lincoln Lodge here, uh-huh. they had like a little uh, stand up program. And, um, afterwards I kind of just, came to the realization that it was like a hobby. It was, that was what it was going to be for me. And I, and I would enjoy it. Um, and, and I do enjoy it. And, uh, so I do like run four shows back in my hometown, usually, uh, uh-huh. on a yearly basis, like once a quarter. Um, and I like book people that are way better than me to like, so I can watch them and like perform with them and, you know, like learn. And, um, that's usually what I do as like far as stand up, uh, and then open mics, right? Like, but right now I'm not doing it just because of COVID and my wife has, um, an immune system, um, issue. And so it's just too high risk. Um, but I, I'm hopeful. I was, I was getting to a point where like right before Thanksgiving, I'd actually reached out to a couple people to be like, let's go hit up a mic, you know, cause it seemed like things were getting a little more normal yeah. again. And then here we are. So I would love to go back and do it. Um, it's exciting to me. Like, um, it's so hard to describe to people like the feeling of both bombing and like getting a huge laugh. Like it's, if you haven't done it, it's just like, it's incredible, you know, on both sides. (laughs) Yeah. And also it's, uh, kind of hard to describe the feeling of bombing and being okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cause it's just part of it. Yeah. You know, like you learn that it's like, okay, um, this didn't go over well. Like, how can I try it differently? Yeah. Like, and it does like everybody bombs, you know? Yeah. So, um, no, I love, I do love it and I miss it a lot. Um, but I haven't, it's been literally since February, 2020, since I have done stand up. I've been writing a lot of stuff, but I haven't performed uh, anything. Oh, cool. So, yeah. My fifth and final question for you is if you could play any TV character from any show in any time, like that's ever existed, oh. who would you pick and why? Oh, any character. Um, I might uh, go with... Um, I think I might go with... I'm thinking of iClaudius is basically the show that I'm thinking of. I'm trying to think of who I would play in iClaudius. Um, I mean, I guess I would play, I don't know if I would play Claudius because Claudius has to do a stutter, which I think is a little <laughs> problematic for me to do, or I don't know. I think I might do Caligula in <laughs> iClaudius. The other thought I had was maybe I would, I mean, I would have, it's more like I would love to play a role like Tony Soprano in the Sopranos. Okay. Um, because James Gandolfini, I think, is is like a great example of somebody who I actually feel this, which this can be grandiose of me, but I feel more that I'm like a leading man type actor in a character man, actor's body, in, in okay. the sense that um, I actually don't think my strong suit is is coming in and striking a really uh, sharp character in a short amount of time, the way that a lot of character roles are meant to do, uh, and which, which I loved about doing theater. But like basically Sopranos is like, you take this character actor and you give him a leading role, uh, uh, again, a role that like very few people would have thought he should play. Um, you know, like very few people would think at the time, James Gandolfini should be the lead of a show. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And there is something that the leads of a show get to do where they develop a nuanced character over decades or over years that I think is a, I think some people are more like lean that way and don't. And I think clearly like I, his performance in the Sopranos is, is one of the best performances of all time to me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, either that or I play Caligula and I Claudius and I, you know, do all sorts of depraved things. <laughs> If you haven't seen iClaudius, iClaudius is the best television show of all time. I have not seen iClaudius. Yeah, it's the best TV so, show ever. And it's, I will and put it's, that on my list, too. And it's 100% a show that influenced The Sopranos, because Tony's mother is called Livia. She's named after a character from iClaudius. Um, everything that you like about things like Game of Thrones and Intrigue and Double Crossing and stuff, like, it's it all, it all, it didn't start with iClaudius, but, like, it's realized in a very enjoyable way. Uh, not stodgy at all form. It's so watchable. So I mm -hmm. to say highly recommend. <laughs> right on. Awesome. We'll move into the third and final round, uh, which is the fast friends fortune teller. So in this round, um, I have this paper fortune teller from like my, well, it's like one from uh, elementary school. Yep. And so I'll ask you a series of questions to reveal an activity. Okay. The first question is, uh, you and I are on a road trip in this scenario. Um, and I s ask you to start a boy band playlist. Would you play the first song from Backstreet Boys, uh, NSYNC, One Direction, or 98 Degrees? Uh, 
I would probably do One Direction. Do you have a One Direction go-to song? Um, I would pick the song Live While We're Young. That's what I would start with. All right. Uh, we stop at an exit to get dinner. We're going through a drive-thru. Um, out of these four restaurants, would you pick Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, or Arby's? Uh, let's see. Not I, 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 I used to like Burger King, but I don't like their buns anymore. Uh, I'm going to go Arby's. All I right. love that horsey sauce. Ugh. I, I am an <laughs> that Arby's was a sauce. weird sound you just made. <laughs> Ugh. I'm an Arby's sauce person. <laughs> um, so underneath Arby's this week is the game Ask Me Anything. So I have this uh, card game here where it's literally um, called Ask Me Anything, and I'll just pick five cards at random. Okay. What's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning? When I think of wake up in the morning, I mean, mostly just what time is it? Sometimes what, what <laughs> have, I, have I forgotten something? Like have I, have I missed something? Like, have, okay. I, have I overslept and missed something? That <laughs> never goes away. The second question, would you rather get away with lying every time or always know when someone is lying? Oh, I think I would want to always know when someone's lying, but the getaway with lying is, <laughs> very, is way more powerful. Yes, it is. Because that's kind of <laughs> what people do and they become successful. So Yeah. <laughs> it's when the confidence goes a little too far. To bring it back earlier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, just think about, yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, so that's weird because that's a gateway to like uni- universal power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, who is your favorite Disney princess or prince? Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> Do you watch The Righteous Gemstones? No, I have not. It's good. There was a, there was a great like. Disney Prince reference in the episode last week. So I was just curious. Yeah, it's, it's really good, honestly. <laughs> um, I like the girl. I like Moana. Let's say Moana. Okay. Love that. Uh, two more. What is the weirdest thing you've seen one of your friends do and never said anything? What's the weirdest thing my friend did that I didn't say anything about? Hmm. You know, what's so weird is that like, I don't know if you experience this, but if you try to think about things you've done with your friends, this pandemic has made it almost impossible for me to think of anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's very hard. Uh, it's hard for me to think of like, <laughs> oh, I was in the same room with them and they exhibited this behavior and I observed it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's hard to even just think being around people. <laughs> yeah, I think the... Uh, the see, Okay, the only thing I can think of, which I actually did say something about, so it doesn't answer your question, which is I, ha- okay. I had a friend who... <laughs> who always puts a period at the end of their text messages. Oh. So if you say like, uh, you know, Hey, do you want to meet me at this place? They'll put, okay, period, Mm-mm. which I think reads is very hostile. Yes, I agree. And then I mentioned it to them and they didn't take it that great. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and the, the last question is, have you ever been to jail? No, I've been arrested, but never been to jail. All right. right on. I, I, I shoplifted as a kid and was arrested, but was then it was filed as a whatever they dismiss. You go through like a program and they erase it from your record. Okay. So nobody could find That's it. That's right. Now. <laughs> All right. So this is the moment of truth. This is what we've been building to. This is the friend request. So based on our time together, um, if Logan Cummins has sent you a friend request, Chris Grace, would you confirm or delete the friend request based on our time we spent? I would confirm it. Oh, thank you, Chris. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> has anyone said delete? Um, 
They haven't yet. No. <laughs> I think sometimes they feel pressure, though. Well, it'd be you know? weird, very, very weird. You'd, you'd have to be a very independent, uh, non-mimetic behavior person <laughs> to say delete at this point in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You could, I guess, you could just bail earlier if you were not feeling it, though. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. That's true. You could be like, I'm having <laughs> uh, my Wi-Fi router broke. Yeah, gotta go. <laughs> awesome. Do you want to tell people like, do you want to plug any socials or any any of your stuff online? You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Grace on TikTok and Instagram at Chris Grace Comedy. And uh, my website is chrisgrace.com. There's nothing on it. And yeah, that's about it. If you see me doing stand up near you or on a Zoom, come watch me. Will you list out your stand up dates like on Twitter or on your website? I should, shouldn't I? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I know for sure I'll be at uh, an event in May. At Bear Vasion, Salt Lake City in May. Come see me do that. Okay. Salt Lake City. Never been. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll, yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll do fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. If you're listening at home uh, and you have an idea for Chris and I when we hang out for the first time as friends, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or call or text the podcast at 872-267-2735. Chris, thank you so much for coming on and thanks for being my friend. It was a blast getting to know you. Thank you. It's been a blast as well. Thanks for listening to the Fast Friends Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for an all-new episode. Go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. You can follow me on Twitter at Logan Cummins. And if you have a suggestion on someone that I should be friends with, go ahead and let me know at fastfriendspodcast.com.